It took the resources from JGI to make this possible. Innovation in the field of genomics. How living things transform our world. world, world. Hey, I'm Allison Takamura. Welcome to the podcast of the U.S. Department of Energy Joint Genome Institute, or JGI. Now, you might be wondering, why are we doing a podcast? Well, we realized that there's nothing out there that's entertaining, fresh, and funny that specializes in environmental genomic science. I know, right? Missed opportunity. So we wanted to bring you that show. Imagine, it's like visiting a scientific colleague and they're showing you their samples, their field site, walking around and waving their arms, telling you about what makes them so excited about their work. We'll be bringing you these kinds of stories from JGI's scientific collaborators. They hail from all over the world and study a dizzying array of organisms, from viruses to bacteria to fungi to corals and magnolia trees. I can't wait to bring you their stories. Today's story starts in a substance we see all the time, but often don't notice. It's varied and mysterious and marvelous. We start in soil. Soil is just this complex matrix. You have so many things. I mean, if you just look at a small patch of soil, You'll have all your larger organisms, you'll have beetles, you have nematodes, you have your worms, you can go smaller, you have your amoebas, different protists. You go down, then you have your bacteria. You go down even more and you have your viruses. That's Gary Trubel, postdoc at Lawrence Livermore National Lab. He studies viruses that infect bacteria. And the big question on his mind is, what are these viruses doing in soils in the Arctic? He samples from a field site in northern Sweden And I want you to think about soil there as a layer cake. Closer to the surface, the ground can get warm from the sun and the air, so it can thaw. But deeper down, the layers remain frozen the whole year, and that's permafrost. Plants can grow above the permafrost, but it's so wet and cold and inhospitable there that when they die, they don't break down. And this, this is called peatland. Right now, these peatlands of where the permafrost is, this is, to give you an example, when I say peatland, this is soil that there's so much vegetation material, so much plant biomass, that there's actually a little bit of soil in that. And it's mainly, it seems like plant material. And it has a different texture. Until you really experience it, it's hard to describe. I mean, the best way, I guess, would be the Tempur-Pedic Swedish massage bed. When you step on it, how it's bouncy kind of, and you walk along Walking along a peatland is like that. It's kind of, it's not hard soil. It's it's kind of this bouncy material where you've had this accumulation of plant material because it hasn't been degraded. These peatlands are currently a carbon sink, storing 30 to 50% of the world's soil carbon. But the climate is warming. Peatlands are thawing more than they used to, so more of that spongy, dead plant material is all of a sudden available to microorganisms. They're becoming more active. So now, scientists are wondering if peatlands could become a carbon source, with microbes liberating carbon that's been trapped underground for hundreds or even thousands of years. But it's not just microbes in the soil. There are viruses, too. So I wanted to know, what are the viruses doing? 
Now, when I was looking at the viruses in soil, I searched the literature. This is the first thing we do to see what is known out there, where do we start, how can we build these hypotheses? And there was not much, if anything. And a lot of it was we counted some viruses in soils or we've done some minor lab experiments, but nothing really big. And I thought, well, why is this? This is crazy. There's a wealth of knowledge in the marine world. We know that they're important and we care about them. And then when you look at soils, viruses may be there. And if you talk to a soil biologist or someone that studies soil ecosystems, they will just disregard the viruses. But viruses could be really important. Say you have a big bacterial population munching on dead plants. Okay, those bacteria are releasing carbon dioxide. Or if the environment's anoxic, then maybe they're belching out methane, which is an even more potent greenhouse gas. If a virus comes along, infects, and kills those bacteria, it could interrupt them from producing those greenhouse gases. Now that's one way to look at it. The other way is when they lyse these cells, they kill these hosts, they release these juicy nutrients. This is the microbial necromass. This is all the stuff that everything wants. So all the other microbes are like, hey, these are cheeseburgers. We're going to eat these or a salad. And they're super happy. And then it could help their metabolism. So they could produce CO2. So viruses could be making more nutrients available, and that could make the bacteria metabolize even more than they might have without the viruses. Basically, the viruses could tip the scales either way. And for Gary, that's intriguing. One of the things that drove me to get a PhD is really understanding our Earth, our Gaia, our super, the superorganism, that all these interactions, and really learning that microbes drive everything. How exactly? Our understanding isn't great. It's, it's been difficult. Uh, what we've learned is that viruses are actually highly abundant in soils. There is a range of 10 million to a billion viruses per gram of soil. This, this is massive, so 10 million to a billion per gram of soil. There are populations, the different types of viruses that are there, they will fluctuate. You'll have a huge pocket over here, you'll have nothing over there. And we've been trying to figure out how we can really assess all this and describe it and in terms of that we can describe the ecology of what's going on. These organisms are microscopic, though. So being able to identify them and study them requires sequencing their DNA. Now, the problem is we can extract DNA from soil and, and look for the virus DNA specifically and almost get nothing. So this this gap of how we think we see so many, but then when we extract their DNA, we're not getting it. There's, there's something going on there. So what's going on? So then if you look into the literature for soils, soils are complex. We have these plant materials creating these polysaccharides. You have humix. You have all these different organics that are in the soil. And this can mess with our ability to process DNA and, and analyze our samples. I'm going to say here that I can totally relate to Gary's struggle. A long time ago, during my own graduate studies, I isolated DNA from bacteria. And they were living in a funky environment too, just like Gary's viruses. In my case, my bacteria were living on seaweed. And when i do a DNA extraction, I'd get goop. The stuff in seaweed would contaminate the bacterial DNA. You, isn't DNA supposed to be in a solution with the consistency of water? Yeah, you can imagine a gross times. Anyway, let's go back to Gary's predicament. 
At this moment in his project, Soil is not being his friend, so he decides he's going to try several different extraction methods for preparing metagenomic DNA. Basically, he's going to try different recipes, and he'll pit them head to head, see which one does best. So not only did I have the goal of trying to resuspend viruses from soil, but at the same time, trying to remove all this other schmutz that's in there so it can actually see the viruses. But to get data from that stubborn DNA, he's first going to need a little more help. Luckily, Gary has two PIs during his time in grad school at The Ohio State University, Virginia Rich and Matt Sullivan. And when his PI, Matt Sullivan, hears that Gary is having a tough time with the viruses, he sees an opportunity. He has a great working relationship with JGI, which he established. And he was looking at my project, and I was to the point where I didn't, I didn't even think that they could help out or what they could do, right? And he said, well, let's talk with some people at JGI and see where this, where this goes. And then that's when he started talking with Emily. Emily, as in Emily Elo Fedrosh. She leads JGI's metagenome program. You'll get to meet her in a later episode. Like Gary, she wanted to analyze those soil viruses too. She was interested in sequencing stuff and then went from there. Fast forward a couple years and Gary publishes a way to extract viral DNA, even tiny picogram amounts of it from peatland soils. What is very exciting about what Gary has done is um, basically it's very challenging to work with viruses in soil. This is Simon Rue, a research scientist at the JGI. He wants to know what viruses are doing in microbial ecosystems, and he worked with Gary on the project. Gary and I stopped by to see him. Studying viruses is hard. Viruses are small. They tend to not look like anything we know. They tend to stick everywhere. That's more of the physical stuff where it's kind of actually hard to take them out and separate them from the rest. And so anyway. Scientists had made great advances in isolating viruses from aquatic environments like seawater, but... Soil had been kind of a frontier for our work for, what, 20 years, 30 years, something like that. And in the last four to five years, a small number of groups have really tried to adapt those methods and make them finally work in soil. And Gary is one of these people who took on this challenge and, and actually succeeded in most parts. There are still a few things we have to figure out, but like, he has just you know, made the field just progress so much. You can't see it, but Gary's grinning. And part of all this is basically we knew viruses were there, we knew they were probably important, and we feel like finally we'll be able to kind of measure and assess this in a rigorous way and a robust way. Before it was just like, well, they're probably useful in some ways, they're probably doing something we don't know. Like finally we'll be able to say like, yeah, that's what they do. The paper detailing Gary's methods for extracting viral DNA from both double-stranded and single-stranded viruses came out in July 2019. Simon was a co-author. You can find the paper, gloriously open source, in the show notes. There's also a protocol with step-by-step instructions. But the story's not over yet. Getting the DNA is just the beginning. Gary wants to find out what the viruses are doing in the soil after all. So the story continues. Tune in next time. This episode was directed and produced by me, Allison Takamura with editorial and technical assistance from Massey Ballin and David Gilbert. Genome Insider is a production of the Joint Genome Institute, a user facility of the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Science at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. 
in Berkeley, California. Thanks today to our guests, Gary Trubel and Simon Rue for sharing their expertise. And special thanks to Matt Dozier, who hosts the DOE podcast, Direct Current, and Jenny Woodbury and Megan McCorkle, who produce the podcast, Sound of Science at Oak Ridge National Lab. All three generously answered my many questions about podcasting. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to help others find us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question or want to give us feedback, tweet us at JGI or record a voice memo and email us at JGI-coms at LBL.gov. That's JGI-COMMS at LBL.gov. And because we're a user facility, if you're interested in partnering with us, we want to hear from you. We have projects in genome sequencing, synthesis, transcriptomics, metabolomics, and natural products in plants, fungi, 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 fungo, algae, and microorganisms. If you want to collaborate, let us know. Find out more at jgi.doe.gov user programs. Thanks. And see you next time.